morning, everyone. The Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Peter. You can find that on page 1,223 of your Bibles. It's probably easiest to flick from the back because it's almost at the very back of the Bible. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Thank you, Jean. Well, the headline read, A Christian Exodus. Uh, It was an article reporting on the 2021 census. uh, And for the first time ever, Christianity is not the faith of the majority in Australia. Uh, In 2011, 61% ticked the Christian box on the census. But now it's down to 43%. Now, forget the fact that that drop probably represents an increase in accuracy. Um, That is, people are ticking the box they really believe in rather than ticking Christian because that's what my grandma was. As you read articles like that, it's hard not to detect a slight tone of triumph. A Christian exodus. The stats are increasingly reflecting what believers have been experiencing for quite a while. That is, it's not normal to put your life in the hands of the carpenter from Nazareth called Jesus. Now, there's no doubt exciting things are happening in churches. I could talk all day about stories from this church alone. Yet our culture as a whole is moving further from its Christian roots. Instead of reluctantly sitting in church on a Sunday morning, more and more Aussies find it normal to be at the gym, out for brunch with friends, at kids' sport, 
or working for the weekend pay. How is church meant to compete with that? So the question uh, I want to start with today is, what gift does the church need? In this cultural moment where, on the surface at least, it seems to be on the back foot, what does it need? Better inroads to the culture. More young people. Dynamic leadership. I'm sure there are several valid answers, but the answer the Bible gives this morning might surprise us, and it's this. The gift the church needs today is humility. That's the parting gift that Peter gives the readers of his first letter. We've spent six weeks getting to know these elect exiles. On the one hand, they're chosen by God for a glorious, eternal future that nothing can take away. But on the other, they're exiles scattered in dribs and drabs around the brutal Roman Empire. They're barely a blip on the census data. To associate with Jesus was to put yourself and your family on the outer. To exclude yourself from the social circles that gathered in synagogues and pagan temples. To be insulted and accused of wrongdoing because you live differently. In Peter's day, it seems like it's not full-on systematic persecution, but rather simmering and sporadic opposition. A lot like the context in which Christians in the West find themselves today, as we increasingly say goodbye to our Christian roots as a culture. Now you can imagine they'd be tempted to fight fire with fire, or perhaps more subtly, just to blend in, or saddest of all, to join a Christian exodus of their own. But Peter is here to tell battling believers then and now that there is nothing more dignified, nothing more beautiful, nothing more worth holding on to than following the crucified, humiliated Saviour on the path to glory. And that will show itself in humility. Is that the gift we feel like we need? Well, let's get to unwrapping it so we can see what it's like. Point one in your outlines, humble leaders. I imagine one great way to invite some of that sporadic opposition upon yourself uh, would have been to stand up as a leader of this weird religious sect. Who would want to do that? It would be understandable if those who found themselves leading in Peter's day might grow to resent it. Or else, just take solace in the perks of the job, the money, the influence. So Peter speaks to them from the heart in verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He reminds them, it's me, Peter. I'm the guy who heroically claimed that I'd stand with Jesus to the end, only to be humiliated by my own fear. But then I witnessed 
the power of his cross. I saw him suffer. And I saw in the scars on his risen hands the concrete reality of my reconciliation with the God that I failed. The evidence of the coming glory. And since then, my life has been wrapped up in leading others towards him, come what may. I've been humbled by the good shepherd, says Peter. And let me tell you, leaders, keep going. It's a hard but amazing road. From verse 2, he paints a picture of humble leadership. And as we unpack it, I want us to keep in the back of our minds... What kind of leader does our world value? What kind of leader would you want to follow? The picture includes three contrasts between worldly and humble leadership. So first in verse 2, not forced but willing. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. If you treasure the approval of everyone, uh, tending God's sheep will feel like a sad obligation because it won't always bring the applause. But if it's what God wants that matters most, then what could be better? Second contrast, also in verse 2, not greedy but eager to serve. The world measures leaders by their net worth God's people need leaders who aren't in it for what they can get out, but for what they could put in. Following the lead of Jesus, who said in John 10, I lay down my life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Not greedy, but eager. And then verse 3. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter echoes what he heard from the shepherd himself. When the disciples were jostling for position, Jesus said, Those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them. Not so with you. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you've ever been outraged by the stories of Christian leaders who bully and abuse those under them, you're not alone. The chief shepherd is too. A leader is not measured by how they can throw their weight around, but by their example as a servant. Three contrasts. And one big goal there in verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Humble leaders need to avoid dishonest gain. But that's not to say that there's no gain to be had. Not at all. The day will come where humble leaders will celebrate And somehow their imperfect efforts at being an example to the flock will be pleasing to the chief shepherd and how glorious that will be. 
So there's part one of Peter's parting gift to these scattered believers, humble leaders. It's deeply countercultural and practical for us today. One of the conversation points floating around Bible colleges and churches at the moment is where are all the up and coming leaders? College enrollments are low nationwide. A once steady stream of ministry apprentices is slowing down to a trickle. And of course, churches are always yearning for more godly and willing teachers of children, youth and others. Now I want to say, praise God for the great heritage that this church has of supporting humble people into ministry. Through the Ministry Apprenticeship Program, the Bible College of SA, we've just sent off the Purdies who trained here. And it's so exciting to see Lauren growing as a minister in training now. Not to mention the work Katie does to equip the team leaders who serve our church. Praise God. But the need for humble leaders is great. Not only for our church, but for the world. We live in a world like Peter's, where there are plenty of reasons not to step up. Leading is not a ticket to popularity. Add to that the fact that the whole idea of taking responsibility is increasingly unattractive in our culture. But how this world needs more humble leaders. We often think of humility as a reserved nature. And sometimes that's right, but Humility might also drive you to step up out of your comfort zone because it's not about you, it's about the chief shepherd. What could be more worthwhile than working under him, knowing that the reward when it comes will be glorious? What opportunities do you have? to serve as you lead others, in big ways or small. Is today's passage a good chance to reflect again on how you're using your gifts to honour Jesus? For some, that might mean being challenged to step away from other good things to devote more time to leading God's people. I'm thankful that many are already involved in leading others here at church as growth group leaders, in song, as kids and youth leaders, as team leaders. Many have the privilege of teaching and modeling Jesus to their children or of simply being a Christian person in someone's life. Whatever opportunities you have at the moment... Let Peter remind you what a precious thing it is to shepherd God's sheep. This is work of unfading worth. For me, it's been a great reminder that it's not foremost about having impressive abilities. No, it's about character first. Which of those three contrasts challenges you today? Not begrudging, but willing. Not excited by what you get out, but what you can put in. Not domineering, but an example.
let's pray that God might raise up more humble leaders like that from our church. Imagine what an impact it might have on our proud city if God was pleased to raise up hundreds more willing, eager and exemplary men and women who were happy to divert their attention from other careers to go and do a ministry apprenticeship, to train at a theological college, to lead churches, or to volunteer precious time to teaching our children, being models to our teenagers, opening up the Bible in their homes. Just imagine. In God's kindness, um, one of the reasons I'm a leader at church today is that people from my church invested in me. And I'm talking countless hours of teaching, praying, epic sit-downs wrestling with me about what I'm doing with my life, thousands of dollars towards training. You've probably picked up that I'd love to see many more invested in like that. Uh, and I, um, I know that many here are keen for that too. Let's be a church that looks out for those characteristics and prays for and nurtures and celebrates and invests in humble leaders. But of course, it's not just about the leaders. This gift is for all of us. So point two, a cold and proud world needs to hear the beat of humble hearts. And that will first show itself in how we treat each other. Have a look with me at verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. So as leaders gently tend the flock, we are called to humbly come under their leadership. It's not about blind obedience, especially if that leadership is ungodly, but recognizing that this person has been put here as a leader by the chief shepherd himself for my good. How countercultural is that? Uh, we love taking people down a peg here in Australia, especially leaders, right? Let me say, as a relatively new leader here, um, I've been really struck by the culture we have of honouring leaders. Last year, we had this bunch of um, vision nights where Matt, Cam, and I got up on behalf of the staff and leadership team and basically challenged half the church to go on a crazy church planning adventure and the other half to stay for a world of change here. Now, in a secular culture, I'd expect the response to something like that to be grumbling and outrage. But I was struck by the good-hearted response, which came at the cost of many of our preferences. Of course people raised concerns, but you did it kindly. And I take it that's because, not because we're doormats, but because of our shared heart for the mission of our Good Shepherd. Now, if taking leaders down a peg for the sake of it is one extreme, then the other is putting them on a pedestal. And Peter's not about that either. Let's keep reading verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. 
this is an invitation for all of us to come and sit in that upper room with Peter where they ate dinner on the night before Jesus was crucified. Peter, with his own eyes, saw Jesus get up from the table, the master who could heal the sick with a word, and he took off his outer layers and he clothed himself in the towel of a slave and he knelt down to get the dirt out from between his disciples' toes. Which is a beautiful picture of what he was going to do the next day to cleanse filthy sinners everywhere. That's the kind of humility the master calls us to wear. To willingly set aside everything we've got going on for ourselves and to kneel down for others. Let me share a few examples. David's a CEO, uh, but it took me about six months at my old church to work that out. I just knew him as the guy who came in early to water the plants. The young professionals at that church um, were often a bit gobsmacked that this high flyer would come and sit next to them at morning tea for a chat. But David was a follower of Jesus first, so stuff like that was never beneath him. Not to embarrass my wife, I don't know if she's in the room, um, Aisha is, oh there she is, she's an amazing singer uh, who would love to be involved in our music ministry, uh, but at the moment she spends uh, most of her Sundays chasing after our kids so that I can do this. That's humble. Or I think of the many regulars who come up on a Sunday and ask me, is there anyone new that I can meet today? You could sum it all up as coming for the sake of others. That's humble. They're just a few of the instances that I've observed, but of course by nature there'll be tons that go unseen, unnoticed, except by God. And those efforts to put others first delight him. Ultimately, we can only hope to have that kind of attitude towards each other because we depend on the loving hand of our Father. So Peter invites us in verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Those who have cared for small children will know the challenge of trying to work out when do you let them graze their knee and when do you need to just pick them up out of harm's way. Um, at home, we're talking about uh, finding the just right challenge for our two-year-old and um, at morning tea last week, I completely blew it and dropped Ari while I was talking with somebody. But we're trying, you know, when do you pick him up? When do you let him go? Because we want the best for him. We can rest assured that our Heavenly Father always gets it right. He promises to lift us up at exactly the right time. If you're not sure you can trust him with that, just look at his son. Jesus was humbled for sure, humiliated for the sake of others. 
yet the road ends with eternal glory where we will be not only protected but lifted up by a father bursting with pride for all to see. And in the meantime, there's the comfort of verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. When life is stressful, how good is it uh, when someone's happy to listen to you? How amazing when that person is the God of the universe, also known as your father. And did you notice the reason that we can cast our anxiety on him? Because he cares for you. How profound are those five little words? Because God cares about you. And this is his invitation. Wherever you're at right now, take a step back from the exhaustion of this proud and competitive world and admit that you need his help. It may not look all that impressive on the surface. In fact, it's very humble. But there's nothing more freeing. Because when you put your life in the hand of your maker, it's no longer about proving that I'm in the right It's about leaning on a father who cares about you. It's not about explaining suffering away, but knowing that your shepherd will pull you through it. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You can do that today. Will you dare to believe that God cares about the anxiety that you're carrying right now? It sounds so simple, doesn't it? Um, But let me assure you, it's not simplistic. The list of things that some of us are worrying about is long, deep, and painful. Many of us are struggling with our physical and mental health, real financial pressures, worries about whether I'll make it through exams, whether I'll find a job, grief for dear ones lost, Concern for those who have wandered from Jesus? What does it mean to cast those things on God? One of the hardest times to pray for us uh, was a few years back when we went through the often unseen but all too common heartbreak of a miscarriage. In our confusion and our concern for the future, It was hard to believe that God cared. We were really helped by a Christian sister, Jess. Uh, She came around just to listen and be sad with us. And at some point she shared, sometimes when it's hard to pray, I find it helpful to use other people's words. And she gave us this book of written prayers That helped us to kind of get back in the game of talking to our Father. There's something deeply humbling, even humiliating, about life not going the way we think it will. And I don't claim to know why that happened, but I do know, perhaps more clearly, 
that God will lift us up in due time and that he cares because I know that my saviour walked through suffering into glory for my sake. Our friend Jess modelled casting your cares on God for us. I remember her saying once, sometimes I just come home and I say to God, today this really stressful thing happened to me and then I did this and it got even worse. I'm, I'm not really asking God anything, I'm just telling him about it. I thought that was gold. It's strange though, even after those intense times of growth, it's so easy to pray about something and say amen and then just get back on with stressing about it. Do you know what that feels like? Sometimes I rush to say amen just so I can get back to ruminating about it. When I do that, I'm actually pumping myself up to the position of chief shepherd and that role is taken. Whatever the stressful situation, he may have given you the opportunity to serve actively in that place, but always as an employee of the good shepherd. It's his responsibility first and foremost That's why we can throw our anxiety on him. So what are you carrying today? Will you dare to believe that God cares about those worries? Entrust them to him. And when you say amen, remember that he is the one best placed to do something about them. God, as you care for this person, this situation, please use me as you see fit, the prayer of a humble heart. We often think of humility as a mark of low self-esteem. But the way it's painted in this passage, I think it's more about accurate self-understanding. That is, yes, I have very real challenges, real gifts and abilities to make an impact, but I'm not God. So what does it mean for me to be God's person in this situation? So point three is all about having open eyes. Following the chief shepherd means we can face reality and what a gift that is. First, Peter wants his readers to have their eyes open toward the prowling enemy. Be alert and of sober mind, he writes in verse eight. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Let's face it, life as God's person won't be a walk in the park. Uh, It might be more like a walk in a lion's den. We need to be alert to the unseen work of the devil who wants to see believers fall. Alert, but not alarmed, because our faith is in the one who made demons shriek in terror. So let's not be surprised when there are temptations and struggles to resist. But the finish line is coming after you have suffered a little while, says Peter in verse 10. Um, After we had Ari, um, our son, we'd often go out walking beaming with pride with him sleeping in the stroller. And I can't count the number of times somebody stopped us to say, 
enjoy this time because it goes so fast. And I remember in the haze of sleeplessness that that was hard to believe. But lo and behold, now when I see someone with a newborn, I have to hold myself back from stopping them and saying the exact same thing. One day, we'll all look back on the joys and struggles, the disappointments and the thrills of being a believer in this world, and from the vantage point of glory, we'll be able to say, it went so fast. Can you believe that? Open eyes to the prowling enemy, to the eternal glory, and verse 10, to the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ. After you have suffered a little while, he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. A humble church leans heavily on this God. So, as his parting gift to these outnumbered believers, Peter says, have your eyes open. And look at three things in particular to give you that accurate self-understanding. First, to the family of believers. In verse 9, we'll be able to resist the devil because we know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. There's something really healthy about knowing you're not alone. These Christians knew that they were in it with Peter and with the church mentioned there in verse 13, she who is in Babylon, probably a symbolic name for Rome, the center of godless oppression, just like Babylon of the old days. These struggling believers greet each other as fellow heirs of the kingdom. I have a prayer group with um, some of my friends from Bible college that meets occasionally on Zoom. One of the guys has been doing it pretty tough. Um, He's been serving at a church in country New South Wales. His boss uh, has been taken to court. Uh, They've been humiliated in the local media for standing up for the Bible's teaching about marriage. Uh, He told this story and I just thought, man, you're a year out of Bible college Who is ready for something like that? Then one of the other guys in the group piped up and said, hey, it sounds really hard, but that's a good struggle you're having because you're trying to stand up for Jesus. You know, sometimes we need each other just to show the value of our struggle in these last days. It's healthy for us, especially in our relatively peaceful society, to stay connected with those who are doing it tough for their faith, you know, to pray for our sisters and brothers in Nigeria who are undergoing terrible suffering, being captured, even killed by the Islamic State, suffering for Jesus. When you know that you're in it together with believers everywhere, the next time you have one of those do I, don't I moments with friends, when you're wondering, should I stand out as a Christian? It becomes a little bit easier to go for it, knowing that you're engaged in the same work as your worldwide family. Second place to look is to the future, because one day we will look back and see that it was just a little while. And finally, 
Look to the one who has your back and stand firm. This passage is full of instructions that only make sense if you read them with the promises. Instructions like be sober, stay awake, resist the devil, stand firm. We can only do those things. We can only want to do those things if we know that God himself will restore us, make us strong, firm and steadfast. Humility. It's not about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's about being lifted up by the God you depend on. Yet it's also not a matter of shrinking back into passivity. Part of being humble is realizing that the chief shepherd has given me things to do in his world. So we'll stay alert to the temptations of the devil, all while asking Jesus for help. We'll rest in the victory of the cross by doing battle with sin. We'll stand firm, patiently taking the next step along the gospel road, casting every anxiety we have along the way on the Father who cares about us. Humble leaders, humble hearts, open eyes. May God teach us to treasure these gifts in these last days so we might stand firm in the grace of Jesus until that final day when our Father will topple the proud from their pedestals and lift up his humble children. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.